listening to The Fret Files, the Guitar Workshop Podcast with Eric Daw. To participate in the show, visit my website, ericdaw.com. That's E-R-I-C-D-A-W.com. Click the contact link and send in your question or comment there. I'll use it as part of the show. The other way to do it is to call 757-774-8482. You can call or text that number, 757-774-8482. Yes, indeed. Welcome to the Fret Files Podcast. My name is Eric Daw. I'm your guitar scientist. Also, I build them. That would make me a guitar builder. Builder of guitars. Some say luthier. I try not to. Uh, I tell you what, I've. I, this is the deal. This is the big guitar horror story episode. Dun, dun, dun. Every October we do uh, a guitar horror story episode. And uh, and we only have about half an episode's worth of, of horror stories. But we also have some great questions. So I think what we're going to do is do questions first, and then do the horror stories after the break. Anyway, uh, this is the Fret Files Podcast. My name's Eric Daw. 20 years of experience building and repairing guitars. This is a podcast about guitar repair, guitar building, Guitar news, guitar science, guitar opinions, and guitar horror stories. With me, as always, is my lovely wife and co-host, Melissa. Every week we take your questions, I read them, and Eric will try to answer them. Try is the operative word. You know, we need to change our little intro, because I say, with me, as always. Yeah, and I'm not always here anymore. It seems like you're never here anymore. Well... I mean, you're here. You're just not on the show. I'm always up. I'm doing dishes and stuff. That's cool. I appreciate that. You're welcome. No, we do get a lot of uh, uh, feedback about that saying, Eric, I mean, I don't put it on the show, but people, they call me, they email me. They say, Eric, the show sucks without Melissa. I didn't know I was so popular. And I say, yeah, I know. I'll let her, I'll tell her, I'll let her know. And they say, well, yeah, do that. And Is that the end of the story? So now I'm telling you, yes. Cool. And uh, we've got a lot of great questions. Uh, questions about grounding problems, questions about pickups, questions about finishing, and and then really good horror stories after the break. You know, the break, the commercial? Yeah. The, the uh, commercial break? Yeah, I've heard of it. We do commercials. Uh, so what do you say? Oh, you know, we've got a couple calls. Sweet. Let's do it. Let's do that. Let's take the let's take the calls. Yeah, hello, Eric, and also Melissa. Uh, my name is Frank out of Pennsylvania. Uh, I just called to uh, say, well, first of all, congratulations on the successful move out to Idaho. Now you're living in your own pi- private Idaho, to quote the B-52s. Uh, but anyway, uh, I was just listening to the. Uh, one of your podcasts on the Dale Fortune interview, and boy, that was a great interview. And I, something just came to me. I thought, wow, what if Eric was to actually go on location and uh, videotape these interviews? Uh, 
that would be to me that would be uh, quite interesting. I didn't know if that was something you might want to consider in the future. But I just had the idea, and I thought, well, this way you could actually visit the people's shops that you're interviewing, and uh, you yourself would probably find it quite interesting. Anyway, I'm going to call back uh, another day with a, an actual guitar repair question uh, on my acoustic. But uh just wanted to say uh, that was a great interview with Dale Fortune. All right, take care now. Frank was calling from a zoo. There's a, uh, there's, a, there's a number of animals in the background there, I heard. I thought. was it, Did you hear a bird there? No. I, mean, I heard the dog. You didn't hear the bird? You heard a bird? You didn't hear the bird? Right before he's talking, there's a bird. Like a, Maybe it was just a cuckoo clock. Yeah, I think you're insane. Most people do. Uh, so... I think that's a great idea, Frank. I unfortunately I don't have the money to, to fly around and and interview uh, people on location. Do you, I, the Dale Fortune interview was great. I yeah. enjoyed that too. But he's in in uh, uh, Portland area, Oregon. Yeah. Frank, if you have a private jet that you would like to lend us, we wouldn't sure. complain. Sure. If about you want to foot the bill, I'm I'd be happy to. Maybe I should come visit you at your zoo, and we could uh, <laughs> do some on location there. I'm just giving you a hard time, Frank. Uh, I don't know why. I think that that, what my problem that is would be today. a lot easier to do an interview face-to-face, I feel like, though. There's a few local dudes that I kind of want to interview. One here in, in Idaho is a uh, violin maker who I've not spoken to for years, but he's a, just a fascinating guy. Hmm. And he he's making violins, and he gets – check this out. So he gets – he orders dirt from the area – where Stradivarius made his violins. You can just buy dirt on the internet? Well, he's got a guy. He's got a connection. He's got a dirt guy. He's got a guy in Italy that <laughs> that uh, that that goes to where Stradivarius made his violins and gets dirt from that area and sends it to this guy. Just for the and juju? He, no. You just listen to my story. Sorry. He takes his dirt from this area and he buries his wood in the dirt and leaves it there for I don't know how long he ages the the wood and it's a certain soil and he claims that Stradivarius violins are have a certain mineral in them because the trees were grown in this dirt no he thinks that Stradivarius was burying his no. wood yeah and that it would it did something to the wood and um he's doing the same thing so, it, it, I mean, I guess you don't know violins, so you couldn't say. Well, I mean, I I've, I know what they what they're shaped like. <laughs> um, so that's you know, this, some of if somebody's close enough to me, the point is, if somebody's close enough where I can go do an on location interview. Or here's the other thing I thought about, Frank. And thanks for the call, by the way. I didn't mean to give you a hard time about your uh, dog barking. I was just kidding. Uh, the uh, other thing that your call made me think of was, you know, occasionally I travel, and when I do, I should try to find, like, the local guy. Like, if I ever go to Hawaii again, find a, a ukulele builder out there, or find the local Hawaii uh, repair guy, or find, you know, wherever I travel to. I love that idea. Find, you know, it's going to be a vacation. We, and that sometimes way we, we can write vacation. the whole thing off. Hey, that's true. 
Hey, that's a good point. I love this idea. Um, like last year I went to Baltimore and, uh, that was a fun trip, but you know, I should have looked somebody up and done it, done an interview on location. Yeah. I think it's a great idea, Frank, and I wouldn't have thought of it without your call. So thank you very much. I do appreciate it. Let's take another call, shall we? Yes. Hello, Eric and Melissa. This is Crash. The reason why I tell my friends and acquaintances to be careful out there is a reminder not to take uh, your good health and your wonderful life for granted. And people seem to go a little bit too fast. And if they would only slow down and think and consider what they're about to do before they do it, life would probably be a lot less uh, hectic and, you know, a lot less bad things happening, if you know what I mean. So, you know, before you're about to put that guitar on the buffer, you know, think twice and take the strings off, etc. And whenever you're driving, you know, just once take your foot off the accelerator, go a little slower and everything will be good, you know, just think. So that's that's all that there is behind that. And I stole that from a TV show from the 80s, Hill Street Blues. The um, the uh, police sergeant at the end of the daily briefing would say that to all the patrol cops going out. So, you know, just be careful out there. So long. I love it. I love it. Thanks, Crash. Now, you, if you recall, I think it was, was it the last episode, the last question and answer? episode where Crash ended his question by saying be careful out there. Yeah. And uh, we thought it was a threat. No, we were just kidding, Crash. We knew exactly <laughs> I knew exactly what you meant. Um I just try to, you know, insert a little uh, levity into the podcast occasionally. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, and it's mostly just me being an idiot. And uh, no, I knew exactly what you meant. Be careful out there. And it's good advice, man, especially when you're working around tools, power tools, bandsaws, buffers, or, you know, like Crash said, even just driving a car, you know? Yeah. We all need to be careful out there. I hope, Crash, that your name isn't a, uh, you know... Descriptive right. term? Yeah. Be careful out there, Crash. We get Hello guys, came across your podcast a week or so ago and currently binge listening my way through them. Couple of questions for the podcast. How do you go about fixing belly humps and sags in acoustic guitars as we are moving into that season of guitar repair? Belly humps. This is a this is a family show, okay? <laughs> it's like that uh, Fergie song. What? Belly humps. Haven't you heard that song? A who song? Fergie. <laughs> There's somebody called Fergie? That's not a Muppet? You're from the 40s. My God. Uh, what are your thoughts on the tight bond glue hide? I've used standard tight bond for all my repairs tight and glue... glue hide? Glue ups. Yeah. What's your thoughts on the tight bond versus hide glue? Okay. Go ahead. What, Continue. what did I say? You said glue hide. <laughs> like it's a TV show. <laughs> Glue hide. Glue hide. Yeah. Whoosh. 
I've used standard type on. <laughs> Can you just get with it? <laughs> Do you need me to read this? I've used standard tight bond for all of my repairs and glue ups, but heard on the podcast you and others use hide glue. Glue hide. Just wondering if the tight bond stuff is worth it or just to buy a melting pot and do it the old school way. Do you have any recommendations for books on finishing? Man. (laughs) What's your problem? Mainly touch ups and repairs. I can drop fill and spray some repairs, but looking to expand my knowledge and learn more. I'm so sorry. The, I, what's there's your just deal? A, there was just a typo, and instead of mainly, he said manly touch-ups. I know, but we're professionals. <laughs> okay, I'm so sorry. Manly touch-ups. Thanks for all the info on the podcast. I've learned a lot from it. Kind regards, Simon, 81 Guitar Works, UK. Simon, I'm so... I'm sorry. What can I say? My condolences on the way that we've treated your question. We've just... It's like we might as well have just watered it up in a ball and thrown it across the room. However, I'm gonna... I'm gonna answer it and put my utmost attention... Belly humps. ...into it. How do you go about fixing belly humps and sags in acoustic guitars? Well, the first thing I always want to do is check the bracing and and see if it has a bracing problem. Because a lot of times when you see excessive humps and sags in an acoustic top or back, um, it's due to bracing issues. Not always, but sometimes. So if it has a bracing issue, then you want to fix that, and that will help remedy the problem. Um. A lot of times I don't do anything to a guitar with a belly hump because I think that a little bit of a belly hump is good in a in an acoustic guitar. So, um, you know, only if it's really bad do would I want to do anything to it. Uh, the other thing you want to check is the the bridge plate, the, or some people call it the bridge pad, and of course the bridge itself. See if the bridge is lifting a little bit because the bridge really is, you know. Aside from being a, a, a secure point for the strings, um, it really is a brace. It's just on top of the guitar. It, it really does um, help the guitar keep its shape on the top. So a lot of times you'll a, a guitar with a lifting or a, a lifting bridge will have you know a hump in the top. So those are the all the structural things you want to check for. If everything's tight. All the, if the bridge is tight, the braces are tight, the um, the bridge plate is tight, the guitar it just has quite a bit of warp to it. Um, you might want to check, you know, and see kind of like humidity issues and see see if there's something going on there. Uh, the other thing that I would tell you is um, that a little bit of a belly hump is good, and uh. If you really have a guitar with a problem, you can get something called a Thompson Belly Reducer from Stuart McDonald. They sell those. And uh, it actually heats up the... It's it's a little unit that you heat up and then clamp to the bridge plate and uh, try to bend the wood by heating it up and forcing it to where you want it to go. What about uh, preventative measures? Uh, preventative measures, just like any acoustic guitar, um, you want to make sure that it's it's in a good environment for humidity and temperature. Occasionally, you want to, you know, stick a mirror in, inside. If you've got guitars that you love 
acoustic guitars that you love, get an inspection mirror and occasionally stick a mirror in there and look around. When you take the strings off, stick your hand in there and feel around. Wiggle the braces. See if the braces have any give to them. Um, I can't really think of anything else. Uh, you know, a lot of times you'll see guitars that have a problem like this. Uh, they've been uh, using strings that are too heavy or a tuning that's too high. Sure. So, you know, a good preventative measure is to make sure you're using the proper strings. And not, you know, don't tune your uh, 13-gauge strings up to a a real high tuning or something on your beloved guitar. He also says, do you have... What are your any... thoughts on the tight bond high glue? Oh, yeah. So, um, yeah, I've talked a lot about that on the podcast. Um, I'm a hide glue guy. I do like hide glue. I use tight bond a lot, uh, especially in my first years in repairing guitars. Um, the thing that I like about hide glue, and tight bond is a fine glue. It, it's very strong. It's easy to work with. Uh, it it dries fast. The thing I like about hide glue, it's it's more difficult to work with, you know, and uh, you have to kind of have some special equipment to do it. But the thing that I like about it is it creates a perfectly serviceable joint or a serviceable repair. And by that I mean, if it ever needs to be repaired again, old hide glue and new hide glue work very well together. That is not true for tight bond. Old tight bond and new tight bond just don't work well together. Tight bond works great gluing wood to wood. It doesn't glue very well gluing wood that's been coated with tight bond to wood that's been coated with tight bond. So um, that's the thing I like about hide glue is that it makes sure that this guitar is going to be uh, able to be repaired in the future. There's nothing worse than getting uh, like a, a broken headstock or something that's been glued with tight bond and now it's broken again on the same joint. Because now, you know, you really have to you really have to prep the wood in order to make it, uh, to glue it with whatever you're going to use. You know, if you use hide glue, tight bond, whatever, you're really going to have to clean up all that old glue. Where if it were hide glue, um, you know, you clean it up a little bit, but any glue residue that you, that you leave there is going to be just fine because uh, new hide glue, almost, it melts into old hide glue, almost like lacquer. Right. It does. I think that Simon is asking about tight bond is marketing a hide glue, though. I think that that's what's going on here. Because he says he's he's a standard tight bond. Just wondering if the tight bond hide glue stuff is worth it or to buy a melting pot and do it the old school way. Have you tried this tight bond? Hide I glue? think you're right. I think maybe that's what he does mean. Um. Yeah, well, anyway, that was, uh, you know, my thoughts on, on hide glue, which I know I've covered before anyway, if it's boring to you. Sorry. Uh, the tight bond off-the-shelf hide glue that they sell, you don't see it very often. I avoid the stuff. Is it? Uh, it's already liquid and, and like, y there's no yeah, heating involved? Yeah, it's shelf-stable tight bond hide glue. So they've added something to it. Okay. So to, it's probably not To make it shelf-stable. So you don't have to use it hot. Like, traditional hide glue, 
um, comes in granular. It's, it almost looks like brown sugar, uh, you know, that sugar in the raw yeah. stuff you get. Yep. It looks like that. It's little, almost looks like little sugar crystals, brown sugar crystals. But you have to heat it up and use it 145 or so degrees. Right. Um, but this hide glue in the bottle, shelf stable stuff, uh, they've added something to it to, like a retardant to make it so that it's so that it won't set up, which um, a I don't like that, and b uh, that stuff really has you have to watch that stuff because I I used that in the past, and uh, it expires quickly. They it has an expiration date on it, and uh, if you go past that expiration date, especially, then you're really working with a glue that's not going to set up very well. Hmm. Yeah, he also asks. Do you have any recommendations for books on finishing? And I do. Um, the one that I like is uh, by um, Dan Erlewine and Don McRosty. It's called Guitar Finishing Step by Step. And it's put out by Stuart McDonald. I'm sure that you can just get it on their website. Um, it's got, uh, it just covers everything. I'll read you some of the uh, chapters. Top Coats and Solvents, Grain Filler, Wood Putty, and Wood Dough. Finish colorants, tools and materials for applying finishes, abrasives and smoothing tools, materials and tools for buffing. Then it's got a chapter on finish recipes, finish schedules, the basics of spraying, sanding and buffing techniques. I mean, yeah, it's got everything you need in there. Guitar finishing step by step. Is there a chapter on touch-ups and repairs? Because that's what he's interested in. Let me look and see. He's interested in manly touch-ups and repairs. Yeah, well, what can I say? I don't see that in the in the uh, table of contents, but um, Dan Erlewine's other book, I know that it goes into it a little bit, uh, The Guitar Player Complete Guide to Guitar Repair by Dan Erlewine. That's got some stuff on guitar touch-up and finishes in it, but, um, you know, if you can... If you can paint a guitar then it's gonna it's gonna go a long way towards helping you to understand how to touch it up too so um i think both books would be beneficial anyway let's go to the next question shall we let's try not to slaughter it eric i have a telecaster guitar with a pot issue i haven't seen before with my hand off of the strings it sounds like it has dirty pots hand on strings and it is fine I did run a ground wire from bridge to one of the pots, but it didn't make any difference. Should I just change out the pots or what? Thanks, Doug. Thanks, Doug. It's hard to say. Um, You know, a lot of times you've got a uh, an issue that is outside the guitar. You know, I've seen a lot of customers over the years that have a guitar that drives them nuts in their house, and they take it somewhere else, and it's fine. It's like they've got a wiring issue in their house, or there's a radio tower next door or there's a you know a, a neon sign somewhere that's that's putting out rf signals that your guitar's picking up so i don't know it sounds like it could be something like that check all the grounds um check the, and make sure that it's not your cable you know sometimes it could be uh i see that a lot people use a uh speaker cable instead of an instrument cable and you'll get a lot of extraneous hum that way so 
you know, a lot of, you know, no brainer, stupid advice like that. But without seeing it, I, I really don't know what to tell you. Um, you can definitely change out the pots, but, uh, I don't know if it's going to fix it or not, but it's certainly a cheap thing to do. If you know how to solder pots are only about five bucks. So give it a shot and let me know what you think, Doug. Hi, Eric and Melissa. I hope the new life further east is suiting you both well. Eric, two questions. Have you ever built a humbucker equivalent to a JB from Seymour Duncan? What makes a guitar easier to bend on? Scale length? Fret size? Thanks. Jonathan from Victoria, Canada. Oh, I'm so glad Jonathan's back. Yeah, Jonathan. It's been a while. How you doing, Jonathan? Um, Let's take the last one first. So what makes a uh, guitar... Uh, easier to bend on. Is that what he said? Yes. Um, yeah, everything that you mentioned, uh, you know, the scale length, the fret size, the radius also comes into play. Um, some people find that, uh, uh, a flatter radius is easier to bend on because it's less prone to fret out when you do a really high bend. The other thing, of course, is String gauge, lighter strings are easier to bend. Um, but yeah, like you mentioned, you know, uh, 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 scale length, shorter scale lengths are easier to bend on, definitely. And fret size, most people find that a larger fret is easier to bend on. But, uh, yeah, it just, you know, it, a lot of it is personal preference again, you know, of course. Um, it's just, uh, it just comes down to personal preference, and, and you know, that's, there's really nothing more to it than that. His other question here is, uh, have I ever wound a humbucker like a JB, like a Seymour Duncan JB humbucker? And I know I have not. That's the Jeff Beck model. Um, the JB is a really high output uh, humbucker, and it's it's wound with so so your standard humbucker like a like a like a burst bucker, you know, or like a PAF, has 42 gauge wire, 42 AWG, that's American wire gauge, 42 gauge wire, really thin wire. Um, 43 is a little bit smaller gauge, and that's what like a Telecaster neck pickup is wound with. And then the JB is wound with 44 gauge, very thin wire, and they, they use a really thin wire so that they can just you know, load up those coils and it's got like a 16,000 ohm resistance, 16K ohm resistance. Uh, so it's kind of an unusual humbucker. Um, really thin wire, uh, wound real hot. And uh, I've never done that. You know, it's just not my thing. I would, though. I'd, I'd love to. Got all the supplies to do it. Um, but yeah, it's a popular humbucker. It's uh, just a little bit of a different animal and uh yeah it's cool cool <clears throat> thanks jonathan i'm glad you're back dear eric and melissa you guys rock wow thanks we rock my question is concerning polishing frets how often does this need to be done can it be done without a dremel i do not own one and i can't justify spending 80 dollars on one just to polish my my frets what compound do you use for polishing the frets Cheers, Corey MacArthur, who says he also has small hands. Oh, dear. <laughs> Callbacks. 
Um, I tell you what, uh, you know, I haven't always used a Dremel. He's referencing how I polish frets. I, I use a, a Dremel with a little polishing wheel on it and then a flex shaft. Um, the old school way, the way I used to do it is to, uh, mask off the fingerboard and, uh, then take a razor or a exacto knife and cut out each fret, you know, so that there's only the frets are exposed. All the wood is covered by masking tape, right? right? And then you'll take, and, you know, sometimes you do a, you want to polish the frets after you do a fret level. And so when you're doing a fret level, you mask the fingerboard off anyway. But if you just want to, if you just want to polish the frets, it's a lot of work to go through for just polishing the frets, but this is what you can do. Mask off the whole fingerboard, and just cut around the frets and take off the masking tape from the frets. And then you can start using some sandpaper. I like to start with 400 grit, move up to 600 grit, then 800 grit. And then you can move to uh, polish. And uh, you can just use any paste polish. Um, Stuart McDonald sells some. You can go down to the auto parts store and get some metal polish or car polish, you know, get some, uh, um, like medium grit polish and, uh, a rag and just, you know, good old fashioned elbow grease, just rub the heck out of it, you know, put some of the polish compound on a rag and then take your fingers and rub back and forth on the fret and it'll get hot. I mean, you want to really rub it, really, really, really rub it and you'll feel it get hot and then you'll take that rag off and the, you'll be able to see your reflection in the fret. Nice. It's just a lot of work. <clears throat> I've seen you have this little metal sheet that has a little cutout hole mm-hmm. for the fret. Yes. Could you use that? Yes, you can. Stuart McDonald sells those. They're called uh, fingerboard protectors or something like that. It's just a little thin metal shield with a slot cut in it that the fret fits through just about perfectly. And then you can... Uh, you can polish the fret without having to mask off anything, but um, I use that a lot when I when I use the Dremel to polish because it it guards the fingerboard from the Dremel. Oh, sure. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Thanks, Corey. Thanks, Corey. Hey, Eric and Melissa, I have been wanting to send in questions for a while, but I only discovered your show recently and wanted to catch up to, you, to your more re- recent episodes so I didn't repeat any questions. I started my business about two years ago, but I obviously still have a lot to learn. I was just wondering if you have any advice for someone new to the industry. Do you think it is possible to self-teach your, to self-teach yourself everything? If so, are there any books to read or other things I can do to learn? P.S. Thanks for liking my Facebook page. Mm-hmm. I am not going to lie. I feel, I felt a little famous. <laughs> Thanks. Next to Nick's customized guitar repairs. Nikki. Thanks, Nikki. If that made you feel famous, you you need to get out a little bit more. You know, I have I'm nobody. I mean, I can't even get my own uh, family members to return my phone calls. Um, I tell you, uh, I return your phone calls sometimes. <clears throat> she turns her ringer off, and then I think that she's been abducted. For, and, you know, I go running through the streets. Melissa, where are you? I can't find you. <laughs> uh, that's a true story, actually. Uh, is it possible to teach yourself everything? I would say that it's not possible. I would say that even if you, you'd have to live on a deserted island 
in order for that to happen um, with no contact with the outside world. Just by listening to this show, you're, you've, you're not teaching yourself everything. I'm sure you learn bits and pieces from, you know, reading uh, articles about guitar repair or watching YouTube videos on guitar repair or um, listening to a podcast like this. So, you know, I don't think that any of us teach ourselves everything. Certainly not. You know, I pick up stuff from everybody everywhere, and uh, there's great resources online. There's Luthier's groups on Facebook. There's a number of books. I won't, I, I feel like I mention them so often that I won't mention them again here. Um, here's another option. Stuart McDonald sells instructional DVDs in the back of their, you know, they should really pay me for, to advertise yeah. on the show, right? Yeah, we should, we should call them. They sell instructional DVDs in the back of their uh, catalog that uh, I'm sure are very good. I've actually never seen them. Anyway, um, yeah, that, you know, the information is where you pick it up. And sometimes you don't even know what information you're going to need until the situation arises. And then you go and try to find it yourself. But right. now with the Internet... And when I started repairing guitars, we didn't have the internet. I had to, like, you know, really search out some of this information or find a guy who knew, you, you know. You had to go to the library. Imagine that. Um, so, yeah, I, you know, the information's out there, and it's just easier to find than ever. And uh, I think that um, you can teach yourself a lot with um, the assistance of uh, videos, books, and uh the internet and YouTube and podcasts and uh, yeah, I liked your uh, your Facebook page too. I scrolled through your pictures. It looks like you know what you're doing. So cool. Yeah, Eric, I love the podcast. I just found you while listening to the Fretboard Journal podcast. I am still working through back episode, but I have a topic you could go over. What is the safest way to ship a hollow body instrument across the country? Thanks. Right on. Thanks for the question. Um, I would say the safest way, and, and I don't know if you're asking which carrier to use, but uh, FedEx, UPS, Postal Service, even Bax Global, I've used them all. And uh, I wouldn't really say that any one of them has an advantage over any other. They're all kind of about the same, honestly. Um but if you really want, if you've really got a valuable instrument that you want it to get, you want to make sure it gets there in one piece, the single most important thing you can do is pack it correctly, pack it properly. You want it to be tight in there. When you're done, you want to be able to shake the box and not have any movement inside the box. The guitar is in the case with padding between the guitar and the case, and then there's padding between the case and the box. There's just no movement. There's plenty of room, you know, an inch or two of padding between the box and the case. You know, there, there's just a there's a way to package a guitar to make sure that uh, it's going to get there properly. Right. And especially, you know, you mentioned archtop guitars. You want to take the bridge off because most archtop guitars have a uh, removable bridge. Right. Take the bridge off, put it in the case pocket. I would put um, some kind of a, you know, paper or packing material in between 
the strings and the guitar all the way from the nut to the tailpiece. Detune the strings, put it in the case, put padding around the guitar, close the case, make sure the guitar doesn't wiggle in the case, shake it up and make sure it doesn't wiggle. Then find a proper box. You want to use a good box. You want to use bubble wrap. You don't want to use, you know, newspaper. You want to use good packing material. You want to use good quality tape. You want to use a good quality box that is specifically for guitars. So there's definitely a way to to package a guitar. Yeah. The safest way to ship a hollow body across the country, though, I would feel like is if it was a high value to take it yourself. Well, sure. I, I, I think that goes without saying, but yeah. 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 I, uh, uh, Emerald City often flies with, with a guitar in its own seat strapped in. Yeah. Yeah. My friends at Emerald City Guitars, they'll sometimes they'll go buy a really valuable guitar and they'll, they'll fly to the city, pick it up. They'll have one, they'll have a ticket going there and then two tickets going back and the guitar sits it's in, in in its own seat it's an expensive way to do it but if you're if you've got a hundred thousand dollar guitar it makes sense um if you're going to ship it ups or fedex i think that uh uh doing the expensive overnight air option is probably safer than ground yeah but it's going to be you know a lot of money. A couple hundred bucks, at least. Thanks for the question. Just finished listening to every episode. They're all awesome. Wow. <laughs> some of them some of them are a lot less awesome yeah. than others. Here's a question for you. Can I cut nuts and saddles from raw bone, say, from my local butcher, or is there additional pr- processing done to blanks that would, be, that would make that a bad idea? Thanks, Eric. Thanks. That's not me, Eric. That's another Eric. Different Eric. Oh, yeah. Us Eric's got to stick together. There's an, a space between the E and the R, though. So is it E-Rick? No, I'm sure it's just Eric. That's... <laughs> this is a timely question, just in time for Halloween. He's got a He's got a bunch of old bones just laying around, and he's wondering if he can... Where do you get all these bones, Eric? Uh... Yeah, you can. You can use raw bone from your local butcher or, you know, wherever else you're getting your bone. I'm not going to ask, you know. Some people, they have, might have a lot of bones laying around. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> as long as it's legal. Uh, yeah, you can use raw bone from the butcher or whatever. Um, but it has to be, it has to kind of go through a process and has to be treated before you do it. You can find information on how to do that online, but I'll kind of go through it for you. The first thing you would have to do would be to clean it. And, uh, we're, you know, cow bone is usually what we're dealing with here. Cow bone is nice because it's, it's, you can get really big pieces of bone that have almost no hollow in it for, for marrow. Right. Um, you can get bone from the butcher and, uh, the first thing you have to do is clean it and, to do that, you want to boil it, and uh, you'll boil it for at least a few hours probably to get all the marrow out and get all the, you know, ligaments and all the stuff that clings to bone, you know. So the, you basically want to make beef broth? The bits. Yeah, and that's the added benefit is you make a delicious broth. Make some nice yeah. soup. You can put um, ammonia or detergent in the water 
to speed up the process, but you know, just don't drink that. Just, yeah. Yeah. But seriously, it would be delicious broth if you uh, just use plain water and put your bones in there. Clean them up. If you can't get all the junk off of the bone, put it, don't be afraid to put it back in the water, boil it again. And uh, then you have to um, dry it. Make sure that it, you know, dry it for a few days. Make sure it's nice and dry. Bone dry, as they say, right? Nah. Yeah. And uh, then um, once it's nice and dry, um, you have to degrease it. There's grease and the, it's basically fat. Right. There's fat that makes sense. in the bones. And if you just use it, if you just clean it and use it, then that fat that's in the bones is going to leach out of the bone and it'll destroy any glue joints. It'll compromise the wood. Um, it, it doesn't play nice with finishes. It'll make the finish delaminate from your guitar. So you have to degrease it. So how do you degrease it? Well, to degrease it, you want to, um, you basically soak it in, uh, in white gas. And the white gas or Coleman lantern fuel. Oh, okay. Right? You know what white gas is? I've never heard of it until this moment. Really? Coleman fuel. Like kerosene type stuff? I, I don't think it's exactly kerosene. They call it white gas. Huh. Coleman, uh, you've seen Coleman lanterns or sure. Coleman camp yeah. stoves. I always thought it well, was they sell, kerosene. Well, they there. sell a, a certain kind of fuel for those, Coleman fuel. It's it's also known as white gas. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So you literally soak you it in... You literally soak it in white gas, and then that draws out the fat. And so what you'll see is the white gas will become discolored. Uh-huh. And at that point, take it out and put it in fresh white gas, and then that will get discolored, and keep doing that until the white gas doesn't get discolored anymore. Well, that sounds like a pain in the rear end. Right, especially when bone blanks are five bucks a piece or less. Um, but you can do it, you know. Uh, you, what you want to do is, um, oh, before you degrease it, you want to cut it into basically blanks. Oh, okay. Yeah. So not a whole So you clean it. There. Yeah, you clean it by boiling it. Then you process it and cut it into kind of rough blanks. Then you degrease it. What about drying? Where does drying come on this? Well, dry, you dry it in between boiling and degreasing. And then uh, you want to dry it after it soaks in the white gas also. And then you can basically use it. Cool. If it's too, if it's not white enough for you, you can bleach it by using hydrogen peroxide just off the, off the shelf, you know. Yeah. 3% drugstore hydrogen peroxide. Works. That's fascinating. But it's um, you don't want to use bleach like Clorox right. household bleach. That will actually um, eat through. N well, it it harms the uh, the matrix, the chemical. You know the right. The it it basically starts a degradation process in the bone, and, right. and it will degrade. So. So if you want to be a more sufficient, self-sufficient guitar repair person. Well, eventually a, me a giant meteor is going to hit the earth and we're not going to be able to get these, you know, bone blanks from right. suppliers, right? Right. Because uh, all communication will be wiped out and and people will just be reduced to, you know, roving bands of wild, 
crazy, you know, <laughs> it's, it's like a it's Mad, Max, Mad Max, yeah. you know. So if it ever comes to that point and you need to make your own bone nut blanks and saddles, then this is how you do it. So in a Mad Max scenario. You can make your own nuts and saddles out of bone. Perfect. Uh, from what I understand, ivory doesn't need to be really processed hardly at all. It can be used immediately but, people, but we don't use ivory anymore yeah, it's illegal and for good reason don't be an a-hole don't use ivory okay? unless it's fossil ivory I just or mean, yeah pre-ban ivory i don't have a problem with if it's a if it's a guitar that's supposed to have ivory yeah okay. melissa does melissa has a problem with it let's take a break shall we Hey everyone, it's Melissa. As many of you may know, I make tooled leather guitar straps. Each strap is cut, carved, stamped, dyed, and finished by hand. My straps are made to last a lifetime. Visit melcoleather.com to check out my designs or contact me with your custom order. Contact me through my Etsy site or melcoleather at gmail.com. Podcast listeners will receive 15% off their order on Etsy when they use code FRETFILES at checkout. melcoleather.com. M-E-L. C-O-Leather.com. Hey guys, it's Eric. If you've been listening to the show for a long time, you know that I've been repairing guitars for a long time. Building guitars, too. Uh, if you've got a guitar that you need help with, I really, I would love to help you. I take repairs from all over the country. Sometimes a guitar is really special and, and you really are careful about who you take it to, if you don't have a person that you can really rely on in your area, I would love to help you out. It's really easy to ship a guitar these days. I do it all the time. It's nothing to worry about. You can insure it. Uh, ship it to me. Maybe you've got a repair that needs to be done. Maybe you've got a, a pickup that needs to be rewound. Get in touch with me and uh, we can talk about it. You can send me some pictures of it. We can see what I can do for you. Maybe I can give you a quote on how much it would be to repair your guitar if you send me some pictures. So let me know. I would love to help you. This is what I do. This is what I specialize in. I repair guitars. I kind of specialize in, in vintage Fender restorations, but I do all kinds of work. Finishes and pickups and electronics and neck resets, broken headstocks, you name it. I would love to help you. So get a hold of me. You can do so through my website, ericdaw.com. That's E-R-I-C-D-A-W.com. And I look forward to helping you. Thank you. All right, let's do some horror stories, shall we? Sweet. I'll read the first one. Okay. Wanted to share a guitar horror story with you. I had a friend that was looking for a specific model and year of Guild Dreadnought. I helped him locate it on eBay. So I feel somewhat responsible. The guitar had some older, disclosed issues and repairs, but was a decent price, so he pulled the trigger. All issues were clearly documented with detailed pictures, but there had not been any pictures of the tail of the guitar. When he received the guitar, he brought it over for investigation. The guitar had a pickup installed, and around the tailpin had a finish crack lengthwise in each direction. We assumed the output jack had been over-tightened. It was a bummer, not disclosed, but could be repaired and he could live with it. We began investigating the inside for loose braces, etc., and then we saw the damage, a cracked tail block. Cracked completely through, end to end. This was not disclosed in the description. My buddy contacted the seller to say he would like to return the guitar for a refund. The seller said, no, you broke it, you obviously set the guitar down too hard. 
No returns. My buddy responded, saying this damage was not disclosed and he wanted a refund. Seller said, if you ship it to me, I will repair it and get it back to you. But he would not cover the shipping, of course. My buddy said, no, thank you. You are not a guitar repair guy. I would like a refund. The seller says, then the guitar was obviously damaged in shipping. Take it up with eBay. No returns. There was no damage to the case or packaging. My buddy contacted eBay to say the guitar was sold damaged. The seller was not forthright. He accused me of breaking it and will not assume any responsibility. So eBay contacted the seller. Seller said, buyer broke it. It was damaged in shipping, no returns. The seller said, I have pictures to prove it was fine when it left. And he presented pictures to eBay and my buddy, but the seller presented pictures of the inside of an acoustic guitar with maple sides. The purchased guitar was mahogany. My buddy responded to eBay and the seller that the pictures were of a different guitar. At this point, eBay told the seller he needs to issue a refund as soon as possible for violating their seller's agreement and that his PayPal account would be frozen. Seller says, eBay, you are not protecting your sellers. You are the one doing the disservice. No returns. eBay responded, seller, your account has been suspended until you refund the sale of this guitar. The seller says, I have the right to no returns. eBay says, no, you don't have the right to sell broken goods that are misrepresented. Your account with us is closed. So the seller said, go ahead, return the guitar to me so I can repair it and sell it. eBay said, no, we control your PayPal. You will issue a return and you will not sell on eBay anymore. eBay directed my buddy to ship the guitar directly to them so it could not be sold again. And then the seller will no longer be represented on eBay. Wow. The process took about six weeks to resolve and 20 emails. Man. I... Thanks for the podcast. Dan Michael. Rotten Customs. RottenCustoms.com. That's R-A-W-T-O-N Customs.com. I think last year we had a few eBay stories. Oh, man. There's guess, a million eBay horror stories. I guess the, the moral of the story is just don't buy a guitar off of eBay. For real. That's, that is a mess. It can be done, but it's... Yeah. yeah that's, eBay is where guitars go... Bad guitars go to die. Because a guitar you can't sell in person... Right. Ends up on eBay because you can't see it in person. Right. Well, I'm glad that he eventually got his money back. Absolutely. But that stinks. You want to read one? Yep. <clears throat> I went to get a bone nut and new and new tuners on my one-month-old Gibson SG61 reissue. Four, four weeks later, I get it back with a quarter-size dent on the back of the neck near the fifth fret. The bone nut was cut like a five-year-old did it, and it had major fret noise overtones from the 10th fret up. I complained about the dent. It took three weeks to get it back. Wow, he's seven weeks into it. Yeah. It looks and feels fine now, but the overtones and the bad nut, well, they blew me off on that and said, you're lucky we fixed your neck. Wow. Jeez. This is from a store that I spent thousands of dollars at for five plus years. I found an authorized Gibson repair guy who, in two seconds, saw the bad nut. He called his friend at Gibson, and they took care of the nut and the fretwork on Gibson's dime. Nice. I was really surprised Gibson covered the nut replacement, and for that, I will always deal with Joe from Joe's Guitars in New Jersey. Noah in New York. Nice. Right on. Yeah. Man. Yeah, that's that's tough. You know, I just don't know... That 
there are so many repair shops around the country that I don't they have the audacity to hang a sign out front that says guitar repair and then they do work like this. Yeah. It just irritates me. Right. Anyway, here's another one. In the 90s, I was a tech. I think I was pretty good and I never had any complaints. Well, except one guy. This customer brought me an old guild acoustic with the headstock snapped off. Ouch. I gave him two quotes. One for structural without finish repairs and one with finish repairs. He took the cheaper option. I fixed it and called him within three days. He was very happy. Plays great, he says. And I threw in a setup for free. Three days later, he came in holding the headstock in one hand <laughs> and the body in another. <laughs> Accusing me of a dodgy repair, I looked at it and showed him where my repair held, and he had a new break. He refused to look at it and insisted that it was my fault. The owner finally had to come out and settle the situation. It was obvious he had dropped it again, but he eventually confessed and bought a new guitar stand that locked the neck into place so it wouldn't fall. <laughs> I did fix it again, but by this time it was getting pretty ugly. That's from Buddy in Albany. Man, two decapitated Yeah, in a, in a week. Yeah, ouch. That guy, how do you, I mean, I've, I've, I've held lots of guitars. I've never broken the headstock off, headstock off of one, so how do you do it to the same guitar twice? That's that's talent. Talent. <clears throat> I had a respected local luthier put a new brass nut on my Strat many years ago. I went to collect it, only to find the roughest, half-assed job you have ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> I could have done better with a chisel. No idea why he couldn't be bothered to make a nice job of it, but I did notice he was filling in his time making wooden jigsaw puzzles for the tourists. So maybe the guitar business wasn't going so well Jeez. by then. <laughs> also, had a Manchester-based guitar builder make me a single humbucker strat body back when that was the thing to have. The control cavity he gave me was exactly the size of the single volume pot and half as much again. <laughs> Guess it was my fault for not specifying. I just left it to his common sense. Wow. On the plus side, I had a guy in the Midlands of the UK refret and rewire a Les Paul for me. It was old and rough. The front had been sanded back so the binding was bright white whilst the sides were yellowed. He gave it back looking just fantastic, and the bill wasn't unreasonable at all. Molly from New Zealand. Nice. Hmm. I like that she gave two bad ones and then one and one good one one good one there you go it's great here's another from this is from mike in atlanta georgia my first bad experience was with a busted guild acoustic wow another one Interesting. anyway that was my aside my first bad experience was with a busted guild acoustic it was on a stand on stage and i was playing my electric guitar i jumped up and my heel caught the acoustic and sent it flying in the air and when it landed the back popped off and the neck was all screwed up I took it to a local repair shop that decided instead of fixing it, they would use it to teach luthier students how to repair guitars. Oh, dear. I only found out about this weeks later when I called to find out when my guitar would be done. They told me it was still at the school. When I finally did get it back, the action raised itself every day. <laughs> oh, no. The guitar was most likely fixable if I had taken it to the right person. I ended up selling it at a loss for two fifty. I'd paid almost 2000 I was happy to get anything for it. Meanwhile, the repair shop made money off of me 
and they're poor students who probably should have failed the course, but luthier schools don't make money if people don't graduate, right? That's from that's from Mike in Atlanta. Thanks, Ouch. Mike. One more and then uh, show's over. Sounds good. Hey there, horror story for you. So I got a phone call from somebody some months ago saying he wants to bring in a heritage arch top that he stepped on he stepped on in a friend's studio. The headstock was broken off and it was a semi-complex break because of the pretty substantial headstock veneer that decided to break in different places than the main wood. I was able to fix it. However, I was able to fix it, however, and it looked like nothing had ever happened. Nice. That's awesome. Last week, I got a call from the owner of that guitar. He asks me if I remember that heritage I had fixed for him. Yes, I reply. Well, he says, a friend of mine accidentally got the guitar in the way of a car door he tried to slam shut, and the headstock broke off again. About right where you fixed it before. What are the odds? I told him to bring it in, and I hope the break is not too complex, so that repair won't give me nightmares. (laughs) That's from Nikolai. Nikolai Shore. Gee whiz, man. Thanks, Nikolai. What's with all the decapitated guitars Yeah, well, it's Halloween. Yeah. What can I say? You've got one in the shop right now, don't you? I do. I've got one that I need to fix that's uh, an old Martin that the the headstock is completely separated from the guitar. And it's been broken before. Oh. And with tight bond, it was fixed. So I've got to clean up all the old tight bond and uh, glue it up with hide glue. It's going to be fun. Oh, yeah. That does it for this episode of the Fret Files podcast. Thanks so much for participating. Thanks so much for listening. Send in your questions and comments. You can do so by going to ericdaw.com, E-R-I-C-D-A-W.com. Click the contact link and send in your question or comment there. We'll use it as part of the show. The other way to do it is to call or text 757 774 8482 and we'll use your voicemail on the show. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.